Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Yes, it is. We are joined once again by Brian Lloyd, uh, Fanula Jones and Jean Smullen. Good afternoon Hello. to you all. Hi, guys. Uh, lovely to see you all. So what are we drinking today, Jean? We're looking at grape varieties. We're looking at a grape variety from Spain that is now grown uh, by a Frenchman with an Irish wife down in the south of France. And then ancient grape varieties, grape varieties that have been rediscovered because it's all to do with sustainability and climate change. And I was visiting Torres a couple of weeks ago. And what they've done is they've put this incredible program in place where they um, went looking for old old ancient grape varieties which they knew were resistant to drought and heat and they oh. uh, they found about 50 of them and then they've managed to where, where did they find them? They just they went into vineyards and they, they, they put an ad in the newspaper and they said to everybody have you got any vines that you don't recognise oh, right. in your vineyard? And so the people um sent them, you know, cuttings and they sent the ampelographers. These are people who do DNA testing on vines in. And they managed to identify about 50 different varietals that were ancient. You know, I mean, like while we're talking ancient, like back to Roman times, I mean, Tarragon was the second uh, capital of the Roman Empire. So they, mm. a lot of them do date back that far. And they've, they've, they've um, replanted them and they've identified seven and they've put them in a kind of a, a like a vine bank and any of the neighbours who want to use them and, you know, it's, it's all to do about finding, you know, how they can combat the, the increase in temperatures and the lack of water and everything and still continue to grow grapes. Fascinating project. Okay, that, that is so interesting. And uh, no hard feelings. Uh, this is... I saw a poster for this yeah. and already I thought the poster doesn't tell me anything about this movie other than Jennifer Lawrence is in it which kind of in turn tells me you don't want me to know what's in it you just want me to go and see it perhaps because Jennifer Lawrence is in it because it's an only selling point. That's pretty much yeah you've kind of got, I've got the the, yeah. the nail on the head yeah, oh, pretty yeah. much yeah. yeah I mean do you want me to go into it more yeah well a little bit it's a comedy it's a, a romantic comedy, yeah. comedy. Yeah. it's a romantic comedy Jennifer Lawrence mm. uh, it's her first comedy actually which is interesting because like when you kind of look at her like I don't know late night TV appearances and all the rest of it she does come across as a very naturally funny uh, person but yeah this is her first comedy kind of like trying to do something like Harold and Maude but nowhere near as kind of edgy as Harold and Maude you know the idea of like you know uh, weedy kind of introverted guy is put upon by this older woman who kind of tries to bring him out of a shell except she is offered a car in order to do that there's kind of a bit bit of a dig at sex work in it and all that sort of stuff it's not, ah, well, it's ah, not well. great. It's not the great. The thing is, though, about rom-coms right. at this point, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the way Bob Dylan... Oh, yeah, he's just not, repeating himself after a while. Yeah, he's yeah. three million years old, so all he can do is, 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 is go on stage and do versions of a song that are so changed, you can't even recognise their versions of his own songs. And this is the thing, like, with a lot of these kind of genres is that the only way you can kind of meaningfully add to it now is either critique it or parody it, and this doesn't do either of those things. It's way too generic, way too bland to have any kind of an impact there, as you say the selling point is Jennifer Lawrence doing a comedy yeah, and it's not and, enough ok and um, Asteroid City I suppose you know what you're getting with a Wes Anderson film you do really. in fairness yeah I mean I think this whole kind of shtick of like you know the beautifully ordered kind of uh, design and all the rest of it and the massive cast that he has for this like Tom Hanks and Margot Robbie and Liev Schreiber Jason Schwartzman and Margot Robbie again and then Jeff Goldblum and then Jason Schwartzman and then you know like just massive massive cast mm. Um, but it's him trying to make sense of the, of the pandemic, which is interesting. Yeah. I thought. Okay. It's a very kind of fascinating examination of it, and the idea of when people are quarantined, they have to face one another and face themselves. I thought that was pretty good. I enjoyed it a lot more than No Hard Feelings. Any. 
I mean, I, okay. think, I think that's coming. That's through. not one for the poster, really. Better no. than the other crap. That's <laughs> no, but I mean, no, I think no. It is definitely interesting in terms of his orvure because. You know, he is kind of not being let off the leash, as it were, but like, I mean, he definitely people like studios like Universal, for example, who are behind this, gave him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted, provided him with any kind of cast and he wanted, gave him literally whatever he wanted to do. And this is what he came back with. And that is so damn rare in these kind of films nowadays that there is basically complete artistic integrity in the film which is yeah. what he has does it mention the pan- does it mention Covid specifically no 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 no, not at all it's basically like an alien arrives in this like small western right. town okay. and then they're all quarantined so okay. no, the Covid the pandemic is not mentioned in the slightest it's about the idea of quarantine and you know disparate people being forced into one situation then having to yeah live with each other essentially okay so if any of our listeners are triggered by that and you get the urge to phone in to say that covid was fake or or the please. vaccine is poisonous seek help please ring rte because <laughs> they they could do, they today. could do with the variety <laughs> in the kind of phone calls you know what you're not giving out about rain oh i listen up they listen to you at length they might even put you on lifeline uh, at this stage of the game uh, and so uh, tom cruise is in a bad mood yeah, I I love stories where it's just like Tom Cruise is mad at the movie industry because he thinks he's responsible for saving the movie street yeah. industry, which he kind of was. He was. In a way, he with was. Top Gun Maverick. Great film, but we're not here to talk about Top Gun Maverick. We're here to talk about Mission Impossible 7, the newest Mission Impossible coming out. He's a bit cross because Christopher Nolan is obviously coming out with Oppenheimer very soon as well. I think Mission Impossible is out the week before. Um, but basically there's these reports that uh, it, like uh, Christopher Nolan has done this deal with a lot of IMAX cinemas in the States that he that they have it for longer basically because the way Oppenheimer is shot it's shot on these specific large format cameras that's how he shoots most of his things Um, so Tom Cruise is annoyed that Mission Impossible 7 doesn't really get as long of a stint in there apparently he was like calling up studio executives and like exhibitors to try and convince them to drop Oppenheimer oh. uh, and show Mission Impossible 7 well, instead was Mission Impossible shot with the fancy cameras as well God I don't know that's a it good was, question but no, it was but not as much like like Nolan's whole thing is, is he wants these 70 mil yeah. IMAX yeah. cameras and that's his whole selling point but like you know Dead Reckoning I would say probably about 30 to 35% of the film was shot like the stunty bits yeah exactly all the big stunty bits whereas in Oppenheimer like literally two scenes in it like normal dialogue scenes and it's big huge camera (laughs) that's why they have all the roles of film that we were talking about oh yeah that's right yeah. yeah so I think he's kind of panicking and it's also you're going you are really going into like blockbuster time because we also have like Barbie uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Meg 2 Gran Turismo they're all coming out within a month so I don't know if he's I think he's panicking in terms of money and everything like that and not getting enough eyes on it and I think he's very precious about Mission Impossible in particular as a franchise so yeah is it not well it must be coming to an end or yeah this is the last one yeah, yeah. So it's this got two is, left well yeah, yeah no this is part one so this, this is Mission Impossible 7 Dead Reckoning part one and I'm pretty sure it ends on like a decent cliffhanger and then the next one is the last one. Right. And yeah. speaking of which, he did like drive a motorcycle off a cliff or something on, yeah, on we the first s- day. We've seen this in the trailer. There's like a, a stunt that he did specifically, Tom Cruise, where he's seen like riding a motorcycle off the edge of a cliff and then he like parachutes to safety. And they actually did that on the first day because he was so like, if anything happens and I get injured, the further along we are in the process, the more expensive and like the more reshoots are going to need to be done. Okay. Which like, kind of makes sense. So. Okay. 
sensible Well, I mean, if he, if he died, there'd be no movie at all, I assume. True, yeah. Ab- absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they could, like, hodgepodge something together, maybe. Well, like, the thing is, like, right. Wouldn't be in great days, but they could. <laughs> Tom Cruise gets on a bike and, and you know, a, a motorcycle and, and drives off a cliff. Yeah. Like, there isn't going to be a, ca- a camera operator in uh, on this planet who's going to go, well, I'll sit on the back of the bike and take <laughs> pictures of that. So why get, why does Tom Cruise have to do it? If it's only just sheer, unless he has a huge inflatable penis on the front of the bike that he can wave around on the way down. But it's just to say he did it. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's that's one all of the only ones. The whole thing. And like, but like, that's a selling point. Yeah. yeah. That's a real selling point. That's why I want to go on. Yeah, 100%. Like, I mean, you go back and watch, like, Fallout, for example. He did that, that jump, that real jump. They actually, that was him on the, you yeah. can see it. And, like, this goes back to, all the way back to Steve McQueen and Bullet. Like, you know, that kind of way. I mean, all the stunt driving for that. There was a scene in it where he does this big massive reverse and like does this. Oh, he was into he was into racing cars. Yeah, but the whole thing was was that like the director told him lean your head out the window and McQueen was like why I can see it from here was like no 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 people need to see that it's Steve McQueen doing this not a stunt driver so he did it and it became this famous shot and that's kind of like it's that idea of like veracity because now like CGI is so good Mm. that you could conceivably put Tom Cruise's head on anyone else's and throw him out a window and you'd be like oh look it's Tom Cruise but the fact that they make such a big deal out of it's really Tom Cruise driving that thing off a cliff that is a selling point and I I mean yeah. I I love the Mission Impossible films I really really do and I, like Fanula said I would watch this based on the fact that I'm going to see if how close Tom Cruise is going to come to death like Okay, but is he not putting hard, decent, hard-working stunt people out of work? Well, he is one of them. It's not like he needs the money. No, but I mean, like, I think there's an element of, like, because like, there's already talk about, like, bringing in a stunt category in the Oscars and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and he has been one of those people that has been championing it for years. Mm. And when he does stuff like this, I mean, yeah, fine, it's him flying off the cliff or whatever, but, like, there's about 10 other riggers and technicians and, like, all the other people that are doing it as well. So it is very much like a team effort. But yes, you are yeah. seeing Tom Cruise yeah. flying off the cliff. Does he get paid extra for doing the stunts? I don't know. I or is, don't that, is that in his contract? Or, or I'd say he has they? something written into the contract yeah. for that. I, know the, well, I, mean, I, I know the insurance I assume they've declared it in the contract how much he's paid uh, for this additional <laughs> work. You would hope think. so. I mean, conventional <laughs> yeah, business yeah, wisdom would suggest that you should do that. If yeah. you're paid what you're paid, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm no expert in these matters. We'll just spitball We'll just spitball Anyway, Gene, what are we drinking? Okay. Meanwhile, I'll back to the wine. Um, now, we're, we're looking at... Um, I, actually, I've been in both of these vineyards. This is the 2021 Peche Chantilly Cote 238. That means something, I'll tell you that in a minute. Alberino, 16 euro, and it's in Dunn stores. Now, um, Miguel, Laura Miguel, and in fact, he and Ness's wife were in Dublin about six weeks ago and had lunch with them. And um, lovely, lovely couple. But um, he's about the seventh generation of his family to make wine. Um, he actually, his father was originally a lawyer and he was actually, he trained to be an engineer. But um, in 1997, he moved to Bordeaux and some wag told him that, you know, oh, nobody could ever make really good wine in the Languedoc. And so that kind of spurred him. He said, well, I'll prove them wrong. And he certainly did. He is one of the best producers in the Languedoc. Um, So, I mean, their main estate is Chateau Casavielle, and that's actually where the two of them live. But they have this summer estate in Ozone, and we were lucky enough to visit there. It was about eight years ago because Nessa was pregnant with her daughter. That's how I remembered. And it's a really historic. And the one thing that struck me was that we were sitting there in, in the garden and you could see that billions of years ago, a meteorite had hit and landed there. And the whole 
it had taken out a huge crater out of the hillside. Now that has all grown in again, but you mm. could still, if you watch, you, could, if see you, the outline it, of it. you yeah. could see the outline of it. And obviously, you know, the soil there is absolutely incredible, but it's also high altitude. It's about 1200 feet above sea level. So it's quite cool in the evening. So Laurent decided, let's plant Viognier here. And Viognier is not, and, and Alberino. And Viognier is a native to the south of France, but Alberino isn't. It's Rias Baxa, it's Galicia, it's cool climate maritime Spain. So he brings it to the south of France and he has a vineyard in the middle of what was the crater. And it's absolutely beautiful. And the wines that he makes from it are absolutely beautiful. And that's the one we have here today, the Cote 238 Peche Gentile. Now, Pesh means hill in the Octane language, which was the ancient language of this area. And this is a very mystical place. And 238 is actually the ordinance number for the vineyard, right? All right. But I want you to taste the wine because the wine is... he And he, he brought this... Um, now, this is the 2021 vintage, but he actually brought us over the 2022 vintage, which we tasted, and it was super as well. So you've got Alberino. Alberino, it's got a lot of acidity. It's peachy. It's, you know, it's a very distinctive grape variety that has now become so popular. I think it's now the eighth most popular white grape variety on the Irish market. But this is a French version of it and I think it's very, very good. It's zingy. It's zingy and you get the peachiness on the nose and when you try it, lovely, very classy wine. Great price too, 16 euro. Really worth, if you like Alberino, Try the French version. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. lovely. Very nice indeed. Uh, someone says Tom Cruise can't act. So that's why he has to sell his movies based on him being a stuntman. That's not true. That's, you're, you're wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my, minority Report, I thought he was great. And I thought few it was Good a great Men. Film. Yeah. Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah. yeah. Very um, good. Born Lions and Lambs. Yeah. Loads of films. He's a, yeah. He can act. That person is wrong. Born on the Fourth of July, did he do his own wheelchair work in that one? No, he did. Well, he did. Yes, well, yeah. he did. But I mean, you know. I'm so right. scared. I'm so scared. Yeah. I'm scared. Uh, oh, uh, I'm uh, what movie would you like to do first? Uh, Asteroid City, we said. Okay, Asteroid City coming up after this. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Paul. How long can they keep us in Asteroid City? Legally, I mean. Well, I'm not an attorney, but I'd say as long as they like. I think we'd have to file an injunction and successfully argue the case six months to a year. Of course, we'd also need to initiate a civil suit for loss of income. Maybe we should just walk out right now. I'm not sure they could stop us without killing somebody. Interesting idea. What kind of mileage do you think that jetpack gets? Ask Roger or his son. Apparently he's being prosecuted for revealing state secrets. I'll never make it stick. I'm in no hurry. I like the desert. I like aliens. Oh! How'd you get that back? The projects remain under secure lockdown. No stargazers permitted personal access without the express permission. My son invented this death ray. That may be true. But my orders are easy, fellas. We're not in Guadalcanal anymore. Okay, everyone, please. We're in a typical quarantine. I'll stop you right now! now! You hear that? General Gibson says stand down. You married? Of course. That's uh, Asteroid City. There, <laughs> You married, of course. All uh, right. So the, the, the Asteroid City, I assume visually it's, it, it's you know, the usual that kind of... That's oh, kind that of, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's going on in Asteroid City is that it actually is very much based on the visuals of Chuck Jones and Looney Tunes. And in mm. fact, there is even like a little roadrunner in this that runs across the screen a couple of times. There's <laughs> a little and it runs off. So it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, so this is set in like the 1950s and like kind of like the French Dispatch, there's a metatextual thing going on in that you're actually seeing the production of a play, but it's 
you're really watching a TV show that's been narrated by Brian Cranston, which is then talking about how the sh- the play was made. So it, it's okay. all kind yeah. of yeah. yeah, it's all kind of turned up and in itself or whatever. But yeah. you don't really need to kind of focus on any of that. Essentially, what the story is is that these group of people have been brought to this small town in Arizona. Um, it's a junior stargazer award ceremony. Then an alien appears in the middle of the ceremony. The government automatically declares the site, you know, top secret, quarantines everybody in. Uh, Jason Schwartzman's character is this uh, widower and war photographer who's brought his three kids, sorry, four kids, I should say, um, to this. Scarlett Johansson plays an actress who her daughter has been in it, but she's has like had a kind of string of bad relationships and isn't really sure what's going on in her career. The two of them are quartered next to each other. And then they have these like kind of long conversations with each other through their little window. Again, kind of reminding people of what it was like in the, in the pandemic that, mm. you know, you were kind of forced to look at the people who were living next to you or you know, people on the end of your road. Like, I mean, how many WhatsApp groups started in the pandemic and yeah. what have you, you know? So it is kind of trying to get to that. But the idea of like, how would something like this affect a community of artists or at least a community of kind of kooky people? And it is really, really interesting. It's really like vibrant character studies. And that's something I think that Wes Anderson does really well is that, you know, in all of these, you know, really ordered, structured, even that dialogue you hear there where it's really like whip smart and bah, 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 mm. and everyone knows to say the right thing. You know, it's also structured and layered and beautiful, but the people in those beautiful and structured and layered scenes are all horrifically sad people and have completely messed up lives and they're all just just really really messed up like and like the Royal Tenenbaums is a good example of that like you have this family of you know uh, uh, overachievers and they're all yeah. desperately desperately unhappy and then Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou is like you know Bill Murray's character who's this world famous explorer but you know hates his wife hates his kids da 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 and then in this it's you know a really tortured war photographer who's just become a widower trying to explain it to his kids and you know then goes to meet his father-in-law who's played by Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks the father-in-law never liked him and all the rest of it and Scarlett Johansson's character is plagued by her own career and all the rest of it so it's a really really interesting character study but looks visually gorgeous as well but in saying that Wes Anderson, like, you do know what you're getting. You always know what his films mm. are going to be like. And people will say that he is the one of the last few auteurs working today, that there is a very clear visual sense when you watch his films. But then the flip side of that is, is that, well, they all look the same and he's just doing the same thing over and mm. over again. Yeah. So it really does kind of, your your mileage varies with how you kind of accept his work, I suppose. Yeah, James, uh, who's listening to us, says, uh, aren't Wes Anderson films... Getting a bit tiresome, same old thing, huge cast, oddball characters, stilted dialogue, stark bright colours, deliberately fake sets, repackaged into various settings. I'll probably go to it. Yeah. But it's getting really old at this stage. <laughs> but like, you know, to be fair, like, I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, he uses the order to make sense of the chaos of his characters. That's the, yes, that's the, yeah. the, the reason behind it. Yes, I do think that's fair. I do think his films have a very distinctive style. But then again, so fucking Marvel films. You know, that kind of went, they good make point. silly money. Yes, like. absolute, absolutely good point. At, at the same time, is this... The fr- because it, because clearly there's a reference to the pandemic yeah. and there's a reference to re- uh, to lockdown. Is that relatively unusual for Wes Anderson, where there's something almost explicit yeah. in it, if you know what I mean? Not necessarily, because I mean, like the Grand Budapest Hotel, when you kind of strip back the layers, it was basically about the idea of 
you know, the fall of a democracy and the rise of fascism. Like, and this, mm. he was making the Grand Budapest Hotel in the middle of the Trump presidency. Yeah. So yeah. he's in trying to kind of get to that idea of like, how does that actually happen? How do like normal people get wrapped up in this crap? And then who does it affect the most? Usually immigrants. And like Grand Budapest Hotel, you know, was zero, who was a refugee. And he's taken under the wing of Ray Fiennes' character and all the rest of it. And Royal Tenenbaums as well, I suppose, you know, you could argue that that was in the 90s and, you know, kind of the destruction of the nuclear family in America and how that all kind of wrapped up. And then, like, you know, there was exposés and all the rest of it mm. about, like, you know, the Kennedys and oh, how they all hated each other and they're all blah, 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 blah. So, like, I do think he does uh, focus on, you know, take inspiration from real life, but then it gets funneled through his prism and then you kind of get all the kookiness and the quirkiness yeah. and the, still the dialogue and da 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 That metatextual thing where it's really the, the, yeah, the, it's, the play it's, about the film about the whatever, yeah. it, does that add to it? Not really. Not really. <laughs> like, it's not, it's just a way to crowbar in another big name. <laughs> it is, in a way. And like, to be fair, like he, I mean, it works. That's mm. the thing, it works. Like, you know, Royal Tenenbaums was Alec Baldwin given that lovely velvety yeah. narration and then in Grand Budapest Hotel you had um, Tom Wilkinson the great Tom Wilkinson and Jude Law d- describing you know the whole story and that was like told through a book and all the rest of it so like and again in this like it's Brian Cranston doing this whole sort of Rod Serling Twilight Zone thing where he's just like in a suit and giving this very <laughs> deep and dramatic voice where he describes everything that goes on and it's just like it's so cool and you enjoy it so much it's so pleasing to be around you know that kind of one yeah so, okay yeah. fair enough can't really uh, uh, can't really fault that just going back to Tom Cruise br- uh, briefly Peter and Cork says <clears throat> did you know that Tom Cruise does all his own Scientology uh, so <laughs> and he probably uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> doesn't, ch- doesn't charge for that either uh, now, we will be talking about uh, the uh, new Jennifer Lawrence film, uh, uh, No Hard Feelings. That's, that's the next one uh, Brian's going to be uh, reviewing. But apparently she's not a method actor, she she says. Yeah, that's, no, she... She method actor way through this. She did. She did an interview. Uh, she did Hot Ones, which if our people are familiar with. It's a, a video, internet interview series, I should say, where they eat chicken wings and they get progressively hotter as she's asked questions. And the interviewer asked her about method acting and she said, I'd be nervous to work with someone who's method acting because I would have no idea how to talk to them like do I have to be in character that would just make me very nervous and she kind of went on then to talk about uh, the kind of the, the acting education she got from Christian Bale on the set of American Hustle and I was like I was like oh this will be interesting now what did she glean from Christian Bale obviously mm. a very accomplished actor etc and all she said was I had always been very on off on off until I did American Hustle and worked with Christian Bale who I noticed when the camera started rolling and the crew started preparing and it would be about 10 seconds to action Bale would start getting ready I saw that and was like, that seems like a really good idea. So then I started to do that. But like, when I come in here, like, I also give myself, like, I'm the 10 seconds to get ready. Like, she, like, the way this was being reported on again, it was was like, like this eternal acting wisdom. And it's like, so you get ready slightly earlier. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Thanks, Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, so that our first line isn't... Is the camera on now? Should I start doing the acting thing now? Stanislavski, obviously. No, no. no. I'm surprised though. I would have thought Christian Bale was a method actor. Yeah, 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 he was bonkers he, enough to be one. Yeah, you know? and even when it went back to when he was a kid, when he did the Stephen B. Spielberg film, yeah, Empire of the Sun, yeah, yeah from yeah. that, yeah, I, I always got that impression as well. Yeah, maybe he just didn't want to give all the good tips to Jennifer in case she got too good. You know, what maybe he's holding them back. What were they in together? American Hustle. Oh yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah kind of forgotten that. Yeah, uh, and now also kind of on a theme. Now I don't know. Is is no hurt feelings particularly raunchy? Mm, yeah, she's naked in it. Okay. 
Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean it's, it's it's like she's basically hired by his parents. Yeah, see, they to... should have put that on the poster. Uh, no, yeah, she's hired. She's hired by his parents to date him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, think they, I'm sure you're going to say this in the review, but I think the, I think the movie thinks it's raunchier than it is. Oh, I think, yeah, is that, or that's oh, what they're yeah. trying to put forward. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, it's supposed but th- to be... this is like a whole thing now. It's going to be a summer of raunch. Yeah, they're kind of maybe seeing it as like a little bit of a testing ground for the genre again. Because when you think back, like we had a lot of like, uh, you know, obviously you go back to the late 90s. If there's something about Mary, you have mm. American Pie, like 40 year old virgin, wedding super crashes bad. going in. Yeah, super bad. Yeah. And then you go into that era where it's like the hangover, bridesmaids, that's the late noughts, like Ted, stuff like that. All those movies made like so much money. But now generally, if you're to think of kind of modern examples they're all on streaming so we'll say like Senior Year with Rebel Wilson which I don't think was particularly good yeah there's like a couple of others You People I think as well another recent Netflix one yeah exactly Always Be My Maybe was good though it was that kind would that be considered actually I'm not you know. Yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway, yeah. No. Kind of the R-rated, like, 18s-ish. But, but say a lot here. of those movies, like, they were, like, diarrhea jokes rather than it was, you know, sex jokes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is great. I'm all for a diarrhea <laughs> joke. So we are, are pro-diarrhea joke. joke. Pro, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> pro-diarrhea <laughs> jokes. Uh, we're I, just I, spewing I'll, them out. Yeah, yeah. spewing them out. Wait for the next ad break. I'll treat you to something. Uh, so are are these kind of slew of movies coming? Are they, is, are they all kind of sex comedies or are we talking more poop? I think, I think it, there's a heady mix of both um, so we love to see that so obviously we've No Hard Feelings which is out imminently or now I think uh, we've Joyride which is coming out July 7th that's from Lionsgate Strays is coming from Universal that's August 18th and Bottoms which is probably the one I'm most excited about it's August 25th and it's Ao Dabiri who people know from The Bear and Rachel Sennett who people will know from The Idol but she's much better than The Idol because The Idol is the worst television show I've ever seen in my entire life and that's essentially about like two gals two gay gals and they're trying to I do, like again trying to get the ride essentially I think is what I've gleaned from the trailer there Okay, but as I said they're kind of using like no hard feelings and I think strays they're going to try and see how they do commercially as like this testing around for this kind of resurgence of potentially raunchy comedies but one other thing that they've done is because like streaming has become such a thing they're kind of rejigging other previously successful raunchy comedy movies so like with the likes of Ted like that was like massive the Ted 2 didn't do as well mm. but they're now basically reworkshopping it as a prequel series and I think that's coming to Peacock so we'll get it over here I think that's here next year prequel. yeah who cares about that bear yeah. who is in this day and age who is in their workplace being like God remember Ted well yeah. like love to see TV show I, I bet even as I'm saying this out loud people are sitting at home being like I can't even remember what that bear looks or sounds like yeah. it's just I don't know who wants this, but yeah, interesting. That's mad. And The Idol is the worst TV show you've ever seen in your life. It's, it's so bad. It's yeah. Like It's so and bad. And it's really frustrating because I think there was a semblance of a show there. That got just carved out of it and yeah. thrown in the ditch. And then Sam Levinson, the big creep, came in and just turned it into a big pervy. It's terrible. It's, it's so, so bad. bad. It's so bad. Yeah. I can't believe it's replaced like Succession in that like you know Prestige TV yeah. Mondays what are we watching it's and not is, good is what The, uh, the Weekend is in it The Weekend yeah, yeah. yeah. And terrible we- and actively like trying to dig up being like he's supposed to be a creep it's supposed to be bad like yeah. he's I don't know He his career will recover from this but like he it's he's come out the worst of them all bar Sam Levinson who also 
check his hard drive. I so everybody like, t- comes out badly out of this, is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. sorry, the supporting everybody. cast are very good, I will say. Yeah. Hmm. Dan Levy is quite... But again, I think they're in a different show. They bring a lot of like levity and comedy to it. You have Hank Azaria playing this kind of manager role is funny. But then, like, Rachel Sennett, as I said, is like uh, Lily Rose really Depp's assistant. She is so funny and she's wasted here. But then you have like Lily Rose Depp. You see glimmers of it yeah. to her credit, but like not enough to like anchor it. She's not engaging enough I don't believe her as this kind of how would you describe it pop star on the brink and then the weekend is just like okay right AI character weirdo pervert okay. creep I don't know so it, on the coming badly out of its scale say you have one at one end and RTE at the other <laughs> what, where would you put it <laughs> oh <laughs> god it's close I'll, I'll give you a moment to think about that we'll take a break back in a couple of minutes <laughs> movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Uh, let's celebrate her win then with uh, with the some red wine. 2020 Familia Torres, uh, Clue Ancestral from Penedes, 21.95. Independent off licenses like Redmond's of Ranala, Neighbourhood Wine, uh, Jew Divine, um, oh, Bradley's in Cork, of course, uh, lovely Michael, and um, various independent off licenses around the Morton's of Galway as well. So, um, Villefranca, which was where I visited a couple of weeks ago and met Mr. Torres himself, lovely, lovely man, in his 80s, now the president of the company. The son, who's the fifth generation, runs the business. He's also called Miguel Torres. But the story is, um, in 1979, at a blind tasting in France, um, this young Spanish winemaker entered his Cabernet Sauvignon-based wine up against the great wines of Bordeaux like Louis Latour and won and basically put Spanish wine and himself on the global wine map. And Torres is now probably the best known Spanish winery. And the it, it's got an incredible, um, you know, uh, history and operation there. But one of the reasons we went over was it was all about they've been a champion of sustainability and, um, you know, working in, in terms of um, evolving the vineyards because of climate change. But I mean, this is something they've been doing for a long time. This isn't something that they haven't just jumped on a bandwagon. And um, the family have been doing this for a long, long time. So one of the innovative projects was to restore these ancient grape varieties. And um, I'll explain that a little bit earlier. And they found this one, which is called Mono, and which takes its name from a river of the same name in the region. Um, and it was discovered about 20 years ago and they grow it in their Castel de Blade estate. Now, it's a late ripening early red grape that's very resistant to drought and high temperatures. The wines are very floral and aromatic, but what they've done is they've blended the Mono with Tempranillo and Garnacha, which are two of the other very okay. famous Spanish grapes. So it's 40% mono, 40% Tempranillo, 20% Garnacha. Um, they also, the other variant, 60% of it is fermented in barrel. And then they also put some of it in amphora, which is the old traditional way of, um, the pots, like yeah. the quervy, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, of doing this, you know, in the ground and, and, um, uh, fermenting the vines. So it's, it's, it's like, was it ever thus, you know, going backwards, looking to the past to sort of help evolve for the future. So, I mean, we, we went, attended a lot of lectures all about the whole sustainability programme. It was absolutely fantastic and hats off to the Taurus family for what they're doing. But I love the idea of this, of reviving ancient grape varieties. Now, they've only got seven that they're using commercially and this is one of them, but you certainly, it's very floral. It's very aromatic on the nose. And then when you try it, you get a good mouthful of tannin there. 
But there's lovely, lovely soft fruit there as well. This is lovely wine, twenty one ninety five. Independent off licenses and mono is the name of the grape. Okay. One to look out for in the future. Yeah. Um, Paddy says worst TV series ever did any of you see True Lies the TV oh, yeah. series on Disney Plus I love the Arnie film but this show was woeful yeah Paddy's could have told, told you that. no Paddy is correct Paddy is yeah. correct it probably was terrible I watched like one episode of it was like this just turned it off okay that bad the yeah. name rings a bell but I actually haven't watched it yeah it wasn't it was, it's on Disney Plus it's not worth watching yeah, no it's, it's okay. terrible yeah uh, yeah you and Fubar wasn't that good either, to be honest. The Arnold Schwarzenegger one that oh, was kind of like True yeah. Lies, but not True Lies. Yeah, I didn't think it was that good. And yeah. like it got renewed for a second season. Yeah, I think it's doing well rating wise. It like are we to believe that because they yeah. don't release the data? Who knows? But I think it's number one. And they most say places that, but like, that's what I mean. Like it doesn't on. mean anything. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. It's yeah, true. who knows? That's the problem with not releasing correct figures. Uh, I've, I've always said <laughs> oh, that. Oh, All <laughs> uh, right, let's move on to uh, No Hard Feelings, our second movie. Here's a clip. Need a car for college, date our 19-year-old son this summer. We're looking for an attractive, kind, and intelligent woman, early to mid-20s. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal, clean, rust-free, 40K miles. Date is in quotes. You're actually considering this. I've had a one-night stand before and gotten zero Buick Regals for it. I had sex once because I didn't want to commute in the morning. I've had sex with a guy once to get out of playing Settlers of Catan. I had sex with a guy once on a first date because I thought he was going to kill me. Jesus. You're with me now, babe. She's talking about you, dumbass. I kind of like her. Yeah. Like, I like that clip. I had sex because I didn't want to commute. Yeah, like I didn't want to play Settlers of Catan, so I had sex with a guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have done it for worse reasons. Yeah, I certainly have. Um, but yeah, no, like it's very much... They are trying to kind of make it this raunchy comedy. What? No, 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 I, I totally Nothing. want to get into that as well. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's not, let's not. That's a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways... Um, <laughs> Oh, God. Where were you? Yes. Uh, yeah. What's the age difference between Jennifer Lawrence and this fellow? He's 19. Andrew Bart Feldman is his name. He's a big um, Broadway actor. Like He's done a lot of musicals. He okay. took over from that guy uh, from that thing, uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Ben Platt. There you go. Thank yeah. you. Uh, he took over from him on Broadway. But um, the age gap, like, yeah, she he's 19 and she's like, I want to say 32, 33 or something like that. So it's okay. not big but yeah it's not great either you know yeah. but yeah she kind of poses as like a 21 22 year old or whatever when she tries to court him and of course you know because he's so insular he's so introverted he has absolutely no riz which is what the kids call it really yeah now, and, and the setup yes the setup is that the parents have hired her obviously to go on a date with him but he doesn't know this. he has no clue no yeah, right, he has right, no okay. clue whatsoever he just is working in his um uh, pet uh, adoption agency thing and she comes in and is all like can I touch your wiener and he goes like what and he goes the dog it's that kind of a level of okay yeah like great that, yeah and re- I mean like that's the thing when you watch this film you're v- it's very evident that like the funniest moments in this are the ones that are in the trailer which is like that joke there or that scene there or another one where you know they're skinny dipping and somebody tries to take their clothes and then she has to run up and beat them up to get their clothes back yeah. and the rest of it the problem that I had with this film was was that it is very, very, very formulaic. Like, you can see exactly where this is going. If you've seen any rom-com in the 90s or 2000s, like She's All That or Never Been Kissed or, you know, even Not Another Teen Movie, you know, mm. that kind of thing of, like, I'm being forced to date this person, but then, sure enough, I'm going to have real feelings Feeling for this person. Yeah. They're going to oh, no. find Spoiler out. Spoiler alert. But this is it. Like, then they're going to find out. Then they're going to hate me. But then, you know, they'll eventually kind of come to some sort of resolution and then we'll all 
all have grown by the end of it. Like, you could write this thing in your sleep. And the fact of it is, is that, like, Jennifer Lawrence is far better than this. She could really do, like, a really kind of edgy comedy like Superbad or something like that. Or something a little bit like yeah she could yeah she could like she yeah. had like I definitely like I think she has the edge to it and all the rest of it and I think also as well as the fact that this is being sold erroneously in my view as this like body sex comedy when it's actually trying to be very emotional and very sincere about it and it doesn't really work it's better when it's cynical it's better when it's kind of a bit sort of like peed off with the world yes, and all yeah. the rest of it you know? because yeah. let's be honest about it most people when they go into a relationship they usually are pretty peed off and they usually are kind of insular for a certain reason and you know it tries to be kind of lovey-dovey and emotional but it doesn't really work and not only that as well but like your man Andrew Barth Feldman has about much charisma as this hat right here like he's just so wooden there's nothing I, I just in for the listeners that's a very uncharismatic hat yes. yeah, uh, that Brian brought in with yeah, this is that hat un- I nearly uh, fell asleep looking at that hat you know what I mean it, it has it, nothing it, going it, it's, on yeah. oh it's it's a warship. It's war- It's the Indianapolis. It's yes. the boat from Jaws. But um, right. Anyway, okay. whatever. <laughs> Forget the hat. The hat know, that's like, it looks like a war- it was a warship in Jaws. Yeah, no, it was the ship that Quint was on that went down that got eaten by all the sharks. Yeah, that's the, it was the Indianapolis. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, anyway, okay. whatever. Yeah. Anyway, forget the hat. The yeah. point is that the yeah. hat has no charisma. Yeah, much like Andrew Bart Feldman. Whereas Jennifer Lawrence, on the other hand, has all of the screen presence. She is carrying this film on her back. And to be fair. It works like 60% of the time. Like, it's not a terrible film. It's just not very good. And she's obviously much, much better than this film allows her to be. Like, she really does try her all with it. And she's producing on it as well, which is why she was doing uh, Hot Ones and why she's, like, really on the charm offensive with this film and doing a big press tour for it. Because she's got money in it. She got yeah. a lot of money for it as well. Yeah. Uh, with so- Sony outbid the streamers for it, essentially. But, like, they were only able to... Uh, they were able to afford it in comparison to the streamers because she wanted, like, a $25 million upfront like, fee yeah. for it yeah, yeah. exactly and, okay. that's, and like to be fair like that's the thing like, it's interesting that like rom-coms as a genre have been seeded to streamers and yeah, the reason yeah. for that but the reason is because they're dirt cheap to make mm. that's the thing they're like horrors you can crank them out and if something does well then boom you've got a sequel make 10 more of them like look at something like A Christmas Prince I think it was or something like that which was this like terrible rom-com that Netflix made there's like three of them now do you know what I mean and mm. like they can just make them really really cheaply and they're great and they bring in the audiences now I mean I say bring in the audiences because Netflix and Prime Video and Disney Plus they don't release any of their figures so we yeah. have no Well see that's the thing I don't I don't get then about why would you outbid a streamer for a rom-com because you know especially mediocre films because you know you've gone out on Friday night you're hanging on Saturday you're, you, you know you've got the mm. shakes and you're covered with the blankets so your critical facilities are through the floor anyway <laughs> yeah. you pop on Netflix and you go I'll just watch some old mindless crap great enjoy yeah. myself whereas uh, in a cinema a rom-com is asking you to leave your house well, mm. and we all hate that yeah. true but there's there the element like you have to remember most people when they go to the cinema they'll just look up at the posters and say oh yeah give me two for Jennifer Lawrence there and yeah. they're, not, like, they're not reading my reviews they're not reading anybody's reviews they're just kind of saying eh, yeah, that looks good. Well, they still do that. People will do that. In oh, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. She did, but she hasn't done a rom com before. This is her first one. No, it's her first comedy. Full stop. Really? Re- I mean, unless you class mm. American Hustle as a comedy, like right? Yeah. Okay, that surprises me. I, of I course, I can't think of any comedy she's been yeah. in. Of course, yeah, yeah. You would think because like yeah. when you ever see her on like Graham Norton or any of these shows, like she comes across very, very funny and yeah. very, very personal, and you would think, why wouldn't she do a comedy and all the rest of it? But yeah, no, she hasn't done it at all, and. 
I again I think the thing of it is she is much better than this film I would love to see her in a really well made comedy this is just a very mediocre okay comedy okay she'll do uh, ah, she'll do better in, in, in the future now just finally Sarah Snook from you know Succession uh, is going to do 26 roles on uh, on the West End stage all in the same play at the same time kind of thing yes in the picture of Dorian Gray she's going to play all 26 characters on the West End it's a Australian adaption I think yeah from Australia Sydney Theatre Company um, and it's coming to the UK next January which is very exciting. She actually has a background in theatre, so that would be. I don't know how you play that many people, though. That's where I'm like. I, I don't understand that the either. And, and like, have they given. Like, but it actually hasn't started yet. No, it hasn't started yet, no. Yeah. Next That's year. really impressive. On the West End, yeah. Yeah. Booked Fair and juice. busy. Booked yeah. and busy. Yeah, booked and busy. Good for her. Right, and thank you all very much uh, uh, to uh, Brian and, and Jean and Fanula, and that's a lot. Movies and booze. I'm Moncrief. On News Talk.